excited that you are here on this rainy Saturday evening. How many of you guys like the rain? How many of you guys do not like the rain? How many of you guys really don't care if it's raining or sunshine and you just like to be alive? All right, good stuff. All right, well, good. Well, <laughs> Oh, man. Well, good stuff. Well, hey, as you know, um, or if maybe you just at least now just heard, we kicked off a new series last week called Watch Your Mouth. It's a fun sun, uh, sermon series where we're just kind of going through and just talking about how important our words are and the fact that our words truly matter. In fact, our words matter so much, the words that we can use literally can change our world. Scientifically, they've actually proven and seen that the words that we use, the words that are used in our home, that they actually can change the neurological pathways in our brain. It affects how we handle emotions, what we decide we're going to give ourselves to, what we decide we're going to do with our life, whether it be our careers, relationships. It literally is determined by the words that we hear when we're children from our parents, from our grandparents, and all of those things. The words that we hear directly impact how we live out our lives. As adults, and as we continue to grow our life, grow up and, and get older, the words that we hear, the words that we use, literally impact us on a regular basis. And the more positive words we hear, the more positive our outlook is on life, and the more negative words we use and hear in our life, the more negative we are on our outlook of life and the way that we perceive things. Our words absolutely matter. Peter, in his epistle, this is the verse that we're using throughout the sermon series. We're going to be spending the next couple weeks talking about different phrases and different words that impact our lives and that we use on a regular basis that, that are positive or negative, that are impacting and possibly robbing us of the future that God wants us to have. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, he says this, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. This verse here is in essence asking a rhetorical question. Do you want to have a long life? Do you want to have a happy life? Do you want to have happy days? How many of you guys want to have happy days? Not like, not like the Fonz type happy days, but you know, like legitimate happy days. You want to like have good days where you're just excited and you're enjoying life. I, I, like, I want to do that, right? How many of you guys do you want to live a long life? You want to live a full life, right? Come on, that's all of us, right? We want to be in a place where we want to have a happy life and we want to have a long life. Do you know that God wants the same thing for you? God wants you to live a happy life. He wants you to live a long life. He wants you to have a good and full and rich and satisfying life. That is what God wants for you. In this verse, when you actually look at the words that are here, the very word where it says, if you want, the literal translation of this word is, it's most often translated desire, but the word is used most often as God's desire for us. This is saying God desires, he wants for us to have a good and happy and long life. And the type of happiness that he wants us to have, the type of good he wants us to experience is good in the sense that whether it is perceived to be good or not, that we know the goodness of who God is. That we can trust his goodness. That we can see his goodness. That even in a moment where you feel like the world is crushing around you and it's just a mess, that you can stop and you can say, God is good. 
He's taking care of me. He's going to work through this situation. Things are going to work out. That is the type of good that he wants us to have. That is the type of happiness that he wants us to have, that no matter what, that it can't be shaken, that our joy, that our peace cannot be taken from us, that no matter how bad things get, no matter how little we have, no matter all the chaos that's going on, kids can be just throwing things around the house. There's just a peace on the inside that says, this is a season and this will pass. They will be old one day and they will have kids and they'll know what they're doing to me right now. But there's just this peace. There's this sense that we just know that God is in control and we have this understanding of what life looks like and we have this understanding of the way that the world works and that God is working in that world and that he's working in us and through us. There's just this peace. There's this joy that is inside of us that God wants us to see that, to know that. What this verse is saying to me when I read this verse is it's, it's saying this, see the good that God wants for you no matter what. And be careful with your words. Don't speak from a place of emptiness and darkness. Be aware of who God is. Be aware of what he's doing. Be aware of his activity in your life. Speak to that. Encourage that. Talk about it to other people in your own life when you're walking around. Don't just walk around in your days just all by yourself, just kind of just complaining about your situation. But instead, look at the good things that God's doing. Look at his activity in your life. And so last week we talked about one of the ways to do that is a change from saying I have to to saying I get to. Because when we change that one word from have to get, when we change that one word, it changes our perspective. And our perspective, it determines our focus. And so if we begin to change our perspective on life and our situations, it's going to begin to change our focus. And when we walk around and we have a life where we say, I get to do this, I get to be a part of this, I get to experience this, whether it's paying bills or going to the doctor or doing any of those things, if you say, I get to, what it's doing is, is it's focusing your heart and focusing your mind on the things that God's doing and how good he is to you and how he's blessed you. And when you live that way with that type of perspective, you live a God-focused life. And that is the way that God wants us to live. He wants us to be just continually wrapped up in him, just aware of his goodness, just in awe of who he is. He wants us walking around our days just being like, man, can you believe how good God is? Did you see what he just did? I mean, can you believe what just happened? He wants us walking around where there are only have-tos. It's not I have to pay the bills or I have to go to school or I have to go to work or I have to go running. Right? It's not any of those things. It's walking around just saying, I get to do these things. I get to go running. I'm healthy enough to get to go running. I, I posted that comment earlier on Facebook um, this week, and, and one of my friends on there, he says, he said, he, it was really funny, he's just this type of guy, but he's like, I get to go pee, you know? And I was like, yeah, you took that a little far, but then I stopped and I said, dude, actually, that's something to be grateful for. There are some people that cannot get up and go to the bathroom on their own fruition, right? I mean, everything, you could stop and look at it and say, man, look what God has given me. That no matter where you are, no matter what your situation is, you can stop and you can see that God is taking care of you. That God has blessed you, that God has provided for you on some level. And the more that we recognize and see that and live a God-focused life, the deeper he takes us into the life that he wants for us. And our get-tos move from small things of paying bills and brushing our teeth and going to the dentist. It moves to the big things of, I get to. I get to start this business. I get to go to this place. I get to reach these people. I get to start this. It's these big things that God wants us to do. But when we live a God-focused life, 
it gives us opportunity to do them. And it all starts with our words. When we walk around saying, I have to, it keeps us in a place where we feel like we need to do something that we don't necessarily need to do. It keeps us trapped. But God wants us to live a full life. He wants us to live in freedom. And here's the awesome thing about God. See, he wants us to have this rich and satisfying life, but he not only wants us to see it, he wants us to actually live it. See, we begin to see the rich and satisfying life that God wants us to live when we begin to speak to it, when we begin to talk about it, when we begin to look for God in all of the small things and all of the big things. When we give him glory for the things that he's doing in our life, we begin to see the life that God wants us to live. When we use our words to speak of his goodness in all things, we begin to see his brilliance everywhere we look. So that's why it's so important to say, I get, I get to do this. Because it helps us to have a perspective that is God-focused. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't want us just to see it. He wants us to experience us, experience it. He wants us to walk in this life that he has for us. And so when we let our words expose others to his goodness, we begin to experience his majesty in everything that we do. When we take time, not just in our own life, say, I get to, or look what God's doing, but when we expose other people to the good things that God is doing in our life, and we point out the good things that he's doing in their life, we begin to step in and experience God's goodness on a whole new level. See, a lot of times we get in a place where we just kind of want to go through, and we just want to do things on our own, and we kind of just figure out, hey, I'm gonna take care of this, I'm gonna work this thing out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make these things happen. And what happens is, is that we get into a place where we could see things that God could do, we see things that God wants to do maybe in our lives, we hear promises, we hear all of these things, but we've walked through and like, I've got to figure this out on my own. Or we step into it, I'm gonna take care of this on my own. And so that's what we're talking about tonight, the phrase that is robbing us of the future that God has for us is, I got this. I got this. I got this. I got it on my own. I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I don't know. I've got my notes right here. We'll see what God does. But I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to be very real with you, very honest with you. And it's been my prayer this whole time. This sermon right here is a sermon that I've been praying specifically that I'm not preaching at you, but that I'm preaching through what God's doing in my life. Because this is my biggest struggle in life. This is my biggest issue right here. You can ask my parents, you can ask my wife, you can ask my best friend. On a regular basis, I say, I got this. I don't need you. I got this. Now, in my heart, I'm a relational person. I'm a people person. I love doing things with people. In fact, I would rather do things with people than do things on my own. But at the same time, when it comes down to it, for whatever reason, I have this propensity just to get into a place when something's got to get done and when something's got to be done the way that I want it to be done, I say, I don't need you. I got this. It's just the way it's been, and my dad's laughing really hard right now. It's not because he's laughing at me. It's because I got it from him. And so, no, I'm just kidding. So, I mean, it's crazy on the things that this happens with. Even, you know, so we just moved to this awesome facility. We were at the YMCA, you know, for a year before we came here. And while we're at the YMCA, we're in a setup and teardown situation. And, and we had this trailer, right, where we kept all of our stuff in there. And uh, how many of you guys remember the trailer? How many of you are thankful that the trailer is gone? Right? So... 
So we finally got to a place where we moved the trailer from away from the YNCA. We moved it to a semi-permanent location until we find out what we're going to do with it um, at some point, which regrettably doesn't involve it being driven into a river somewhere, but it's going to be a blessing to somebody someday, right? So that's what we're believing, so we're holding on to it. So we wanted to move it to somewhere away from the YMCA because we didn't keep it on their property and bother them with it. And so I know we've needed to move it, and Dan and Zach and some other guys and Ron, they've looked at it. They made sure it was all working and all this different stuff. And, the, you know, multiple times they're like, hey, do you need my help? Do you need me to help you with this? Do we need to do this? And I don't want to bother people with stuff. I'm like, hey, listen, you've got jobs. You've got this stuff. I got it, right? You want to know the problem? I've never really pulled a trailer in my life. <laughs> in fact, I did one time. I pulled my car across the country, and I was scared the entire time behind a U-Haul, right? And I pulled it the whole time, and I was scared to death. But even in that moment, I said, I got this. I didn't ask for help. I figured out how to hook it up on my own. And the whole time, I'm like, man, I hope this thing does not fall backwards and slam into the car behind me, which happened to be my mom, right? And so, and you know, the whole time, I'm just like, I got this. So, so we go, and I'm like, I got the trailer. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got it, right? I've never backed the trailer up. I've never done any of this stuff. I'm just like, I'm going to do this. So we go there, and we're trying to figure it out. I'm like, we got this. It's no big deal, right? There were so many issues that we ran into on that day, and I was so glad that I at least brought Terrence with me, right? The, the jack got stuck. It was rusted shut, and so we were, like, trying to do that, spraying that thing with WD-40 and so that we could even move the stupid thing. And, and as we're doing it, this behemoth of a man right here ripped the handle trying to turn it, right? So then we had to go to Lowe's to figure out how to fix it. I mean, it was just this hysterical thing, and all the lights got stolen off of the trailer, and so then we were trying to find new lights. Nobody carries the lights that we have to put on the trailer, so I was like, you know what? I got this. We're going to drive it without lights. And we did. Drove it without lights all the way from Williamsburg to Newport News. But I was like, hey, you know what? I got an explanation for that. But in the whole process of everything, I never even put the license plate on the trailer. So not only did I not have lights, I didn't have the license plate. And then we didn't even hook up the lights that did work. I was just a hot mess driving that thing around, right? In fact, while on the whole way there, somebody actually was behind the trailer, and, uh, and I, I'm not really sure on the details yet, but the way it's been kind of communicated to me, that I think it was a person from the church that sold us the trailer, and they're like, hey, right? So they called that church, and they're just like, and that church calls us, and they're like, you got to get this taken care of. And we're like, yes, sir, we're going to do that, right? But we ended up in this spot. I'm just telling you this, though. It would have been 10 times worse if I didn't even bring Terrence along with me. It would have been 10 times worse if I was out there by myself because I would have been in a complete just mess where I would have wasted even more time. I would have wasted even more money. I would have been absolutely discouraged. This jerk right here, the entire time we were out there, he just kept using my sermon against me. He's like, hey, we get to do this. Hey, we get to experience this together. And I would just glare at him out the corner of my eye. But I was so thankful to have at least them there. But, you know, I, for me in my life, I'm just telling you, the, the, the biggest failures, the biggest mistakes, the biggest injuries, the biggest situations I've ever found myself in that had consequences that I did not want for myself, you know when they were? You know what they were a result of? Me saying, I got this. I don't need anybody's influence. I don't need anybody's input. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to try to go down the side of a mountain with a cute foreign exchange student from Sweden, even though I've never skied before. I got this. I'm going to try to ride a motorcycle, even though I've never ridden it. You don't need to tell me what to do. I got this. And then it flips over on top of me, and I'm laying there underneath of a 350. It, every single time, 
Every single time I've ever found myself in a situation that has the biggest consequences, it's been when I put myself in a situation where I'm not surrounded by people that can help me and encourage me. Every single time. I remember one time where I was in a situation where in Virginia, this is not unique to Virginia, but the amount of people that do this is unique to Virginia. But a lot of people here, and I don't know if you do or not, have personalized license plates in Virginia, right? How many of you guys have personalized license plates? All right, see, see, there's a number of us, right? Most states don't really have a lot of people that do this because it costs so much more to do it, but in Virginia, it doesn't really. And so, yeah, so a lot of people have personalized license plates. Well, in high school, it was super cool to put you and your girlfriend's initials on the license plate. And so... I remember I drove up into school and I was like, yeah, I got that right there. I got our initials on the license plate. And, you know, like you drive up into school and you're just like, yeah, look how cool I am, right? Like, I got the girl, right? You just put it right there. And it's awesome until the moment that you don't have the girl anymore and then you're stuck with permanent license plates. And then you got to go pay a fee to get them changed, you know? So I'm in this situation where I'm like, I've got to figure out my license plates. And so it was in a moment of life transition. Jesus had invaded my life and changed me. And, and I was just on fire and excited to get ready to go to Bible college. And, and I was changing all kinds of things in my life. And, and, and I was just excited about all the things that God was doing. So I was on my way to the DMV. I didn't... You know, at that point, we didn't even really have cell phones. We just had pagers, so I couldn't call anybody up and talk to them. Come on, how many of you guys have pagers? You know what I'm talking about, right? Mine was the clear blue. You could see through it. It was awesome. So, so I mean, you know, like, I was on the way to the DMV. I didn't have anybody to talk to. I didn't talk to my parents about this. I didn't have a friend to talk to. I didn't talk to my youth pastor. I was like, I'm going to go to the DMV. I'm going to get a whole new license plate, and I'm just going to figure it out on my own. I'm just going to pray. I got this thing. I got to figure it out. Right, So I get there, and I get to the DMV, and they give me the paperwork. I start filling it out, and I think I've got this most amazing idea. So on the license plate, I put the letters F, X, D. X, N, L, S. F, X, D, X, N, L, S. And I think this is awesome. Man, God's going to use this. He's going to change people's lives through this license plate. They're going to be driving and see this license plate, and they're going to be like, what does that mean? And they're going to stop me at the red light, and they're going to ask, or they're going to figure it out on their own, and they're just gonna, God's going to speak to them in their car. How many of you figured out what it means? My mom, just because I told her. Nobody. Nobody in 20-some years, almost 30-whatever years, nobody has figured out what in the world that license plate meant. I thought it was an awesome idea. I thought it was so stinking cool. I thought it was just going to change everything. I got, to, I got to college, pulled up into Bible college, surely all these people that want to be pastors, they're going to figure it out, right? They're creative people like me. They're going to be able to figure it out. They're, they're anointed. They're led by God. They're going to know what this license plate means. Nobody. Everybody. Oh, yeah, that's Jamie. He's got the weird license plate. Nobody knew what it meant. I was convinced that it was the easiest and most common sense thing in the world. I believe that it meant fixed by nails. Right? I was fixed by nails. Jesus died on the cross. He had nails in his hands and his feet. You're looking at me, you're like, that is the cheesiest thing I've ever heard. I'm actually getting a thumbs down right now. Exactly, right? I found myself in that place. Why? Because I was like, I got this. I'm on my own. I'm going to figure this thing out. We end up in the worst places 
Because we put ourselves in isolation, we put ourselves in a position where we have to make a decision or we allow somebody to make a decision for us and we've not involved the people that God can use to speak truth into our life. When we put ourselves in these places, I got it, I got to figure it out, it's not a big deal, I'm going to take care of this. When we get ourselves into that place and we're just like, I'm going to take care of it, I, me and God, we're just talking, we're going to figure it out, which is important, right, which is good. But you've got to have people that can speak truth into your life. You've got to have people that can encourage you and point out the good things and can point out the bad things. You've got to have people that say, hey, you're being an idiot right now. Nobody's going to know what fixing their goals means, right? You've got to have people that will speak to you and encourage you and tell you, listen, you're making a mistake. You're going the wrong way. I want to save you from something. I want to encourage you to do the good things that God has for you in life. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 says this in the message translation. I'm going to read all the way through verses 14, so stick with me for a little bit. I got it up on the screen, or you can follow along in the Bible app. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 says this. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Man, isn't that a challenge right there? If you're serious about it, then act like it. How do we act like it? We pursue the things over which Christ presides. Remember what we're talking about? You change your perspective. When you change your perspective to see God's activity and his goodness, it causes you to live a God-focused life. What's a God-focused life? Where's Jesus at? What's Jesus doing? I want to be right there. Man, that's what he's called us to do. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again this earth, on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. Verse 5. And that means killing off everything connected with that way of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. It wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. But you know better now. So make sure it's all gone for good. Bad temper, irritability, meanness, profanity, and dirty talk. When was the last time you heard anybody ever be mean quietly? I mean, there's some people, right? Mom's got the looks down, right? Every once in a while, they can give you a look across the room, and you're like, hmm, they mean business, right? I mean, when was the last time you heard anybody just be irritable and grumpy quietly, right? When was the last time you heard anybody just speak profanity quietly? 
It's that, the, what do we speak? What are we expressing with our words? What are we showing with our words and the things that we allow out of our mouths, right? Does Scripture not say that the mouth reveals the heart, right? What is coming out from inside of us? Now, verse 9, don't, allow, don't lie to one another. Again, words, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes. You've stripped off and put in the fire. Have you ever had one of those days where you're in your wardrobe and you just want to throw everything in the fire? Yeah, all right. They even had it back then when they were wearing gowns. Now, you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in Christ. I love this passage, and where it's getting to this too is our words are meant for unity, not for conflict. We use our words to isolate and segregate. We use our words to create the world that is easy for us to control. We bring people in with our words and we keep people out with our words. And that is not the way that we're supposed to live. That is not what we're supposed to do. Our words are meant for unity, not conflict. Verses 12. I'm getting ready to wrap this up. Stay with me. The reading, not the passage, not the sermon. Verses 12. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place. Quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that incredible? Listen, your life is meant to be lived for God. That is what your life is meant to be, is to be lived for God. You are supposed to live every moment of your day. I'm supposed to live every moment of my day for God and for his glory. I'm supposed to live every moment not walking around where people are looking and saying, look what God has done for them. I'm supposed to be walking around so that people look at my life and they see God's activity and they say, look what God is doing in his life. Look what God is doing through his life. I'm supposed to live my life where my life is pointing to God and is declaring God's goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ in all that I do. That is what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm here for. That is what my life and your life is meant for, is to live our life for God. And that is seen in how you live your life for others. Your life is supposed to be lived for God. And that is seen in how you live your life for others. The main thing we're going to talk about tonight, we're talking about relationships. We're talking about doing life together. We're talking about having accountability. We're talking about having friendships. We're talking about how people that can speak into your life. 
We're talking about not doing life on our own. We're talking about not just going into situations and moments where we just feel like I've got to make this decision. I've just got to make this happen. I've got this. I don't need anybody else. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Man, that is not the life that God wants us to live. That is not the place he wants us to be. That is not what he wants to experience in life. He wants us to know happiness. He wants us to know joy. He wants us to know relationship. He wants us to know full life in him. And it happens when we give ourselves to God's glory by living for others, by serving others. So my first point tonight, you're like, dear Lord, he just got to his first point. Yes, we'll be okay. The depth of community in your life reveals the depth of your God relationship. The depth of community in your life reveals the depth of your God relationship. Let me put it to you in a different way. Let me put it to you this way. The depth of human connection in your life reveals the depth of freedom in your life. The more you are connected with others, the deeper that connection goes, the richer that connection is, the more those connections in that community and those relationships are centered around Jesus Christ, the greater your relationship is going to be with God. And to the greater degree, you're going to experience freedom, know freedom, love freedom, and see the freedom that God has for you. The more you isolate yourself, the more you put yourself in a place where you do not have relationship, where you're walking around and saying, I got this. I've got to figure it out. I'm going to do it, and it's going to make a difference. And you're all on your own, and you're charging, trying to make things happen. You're going to be in a place where you find yourself discouraged and alone. You're eventually going to find yourself in a place where you're disappointed. You're going to find yourself in a place where you're beginning to feel like you failed. You're going to find yourself in a place where you're going to say, why am I all alone? Why didn't they help me? Why wasn't God there? Why didn't God answer my prayers? Why didn't this take place? And all along, we've been walking down the road by ourselves. I got this. I got this. I got this. We've just been leaving everybody out back there behind us. I got this. I got this. And then all of a sudden, we're out on the island by ourselves. And we're like, where's everybody at? Where's everybody at? So then we start getting into this place. Here's how this journey works out, right? We get out there on our own. You all know you've been there before, right? I've been there multiple times. I've been there today. You're out there on this island all by yourself. And you're like, where's everybody at? Why is there nobody here to help me? Why does this situation look like this? God, where are you at? And then you first begin to look at yourself. And you begin to become critical of where you are and the things that you've done. You begin to notice your failures and your shortcomings. You begin to notice your mistakes. You begin to notice your missteps. And you begin to beat yourself up and speak down to yourself because of the things that you didn't do or that you should have done or the things that you did do that you shouldn't have done. You get into this mess of a place and you become super critical of yourself. And the worst part is it doesn't just stop there. When you're out there on critical islands, you become critical of yourself. And when you become critical of yourself, you begin to become others critical. You begin to become critical of everybody else. They didn't do this for me. If they just would have done a better job at this, if they just would have spoke up sooner, we end up in this place where we get so critical of everybody else. And then the worst part is it doesn't just stop there. Because when we get critical of ourselves, when we get critical of others, and then when we're critical of others, you know what happens? We become extremely critical of God. God abandoned me. God left me. God doesn't care about me. And then 
the worst thing of it all is that it puts us back in this perpetual place where we feel like we have to pick up our own bootstraps and we go, I got this. I got this. The depth of spiritual community in your life, it reveals the depth of your God relationship. Because when you're deep in spiritual community, when you're connected with other believers in Christ, when you're living out a God-focused life with other people, they're quick to say, hey, stop. Hey, you're making a mistake. Hey, you're going the wrong way. Stop saying that. That's not true. Here is the truth. Man, don't believe that. Here's what God's word says. You're believing a lie. Believe God's promise. When you're in a deep spiritual community, when you're in a deep spiritual relationship with other people, then your relationship with God is only going to get deeper, and it's only going to get bolder, and it's only going to grow faster and faster, and you're only going to go deeper into the life that God wants and has for you. Because the question is, right, this question that Peter's asking, do you want a good life? Do you want a happy life? Do you want a long life? Do you want this? The real question is, do you believe that God wants that for you? Do you believe that God has that for you? Because he does. And one of the ways that he's asked us and given us an opportunity to see it is by acknowledging and pointing out the things that he's doing in our life. And he knows that there's going to be times that we're going to fail at it. So he said, you know what? I'm going to put you in a group. I'm going to put you in a family. I'm going to put you with a bunch of people that are going to help you to see what I'm doing. And whenever you miss it, they're going to be able to help you see it. And whenever they miss it, you're going to be able to help them see it. That's what God has done for us. He's given us that type of freedom. He's given us that type of life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, it says this, For you have been called to live in freedom. Do you hear that? How many of you walk around and you feel like I'm anything but free? Half of the times we say I have to, it's because we put ourselves in situations that have bound us and held us down. And so we want to do what God's called us to do, but we can't. I want to go where God's called me to, but I can't because I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do that. I just have to do these things. We put ourselves in bondage, and instead of walking in freedom and liberty, we're walking in bondage to the things of this world. He's saying here, listen, you've been called. You've been just given. You've been challenged. You've been expected to know that you can live a life in freedom. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the Pharisees, when Jesus was walking around, Pharisees, they love trying to trip Jesus up and they love trying to mess with him. So Matthew chapter 22, we see this Pharisee saying, I've got a question. I'm going to ask Jesus, what is the best law? What's the greatest law? See, the Pharisees, they liked having the rules because they were really good at following rules. Have you ever met those people that are just really good at following rules? Maybe some of you are out there. Michelle, she's really good at rules. She likes rules. I'm really bad at rules, and I really don't like rules. But the Pharisees, they really liked them. And so they liked the rules because they could say, look at how good I am. So this Pharisee was like, you know what? I'm going to ask Jesus. If he's God, what's the most important rule? 
Jesus messes with them because Jesus is like, it's not even a rule. It's a lifestyle. It's a heart. It's not even a rule. What it is is you were supposed to love God with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul. And you're supposed to love others as you love yourself. Go and do that. Well, how do I do that? What are the steps? What are the rules? See, Jesus gets into this place where he's speaking. He's like, listen, it's not about what you have to do. It's about what you get to do. The greatest thing we can do is live our lives for others because when we live our life for other people, when we are aware of the things that God has done for us, we are aware how much he loves us, how much he's given to us, how much he cares for us. When we understand that, it causes us to do the things for others what God has done for us. Why are we able to love other people in a supernatural way? Because God has loved us in a supernatural way. Why can we forgive people of the greatest grievances? Because God has forgiven us of the greatest grievance of all, that we've sinned against him, that we've rejected him, and he forgave us for it through Jesus Christ. Why are we able to live the life that God wants us to live? Because Jesus died on the cross, and he gave us opportunity. You look at somebody, there's no way they can do this. No, there's an absolute way they can do whatever's in front of them. Why don't you be the person that steps into the world and helps them to see the things that they get to do to go where God wants them to go? That is what God's called us to do. That's the life that he's given us to do. And I'm just telling you, if you've ever been in a moment like that, those are the most freeing, wonderful, incredible moments. Those are the moments when you've helped somebody else that you didn't even need to help. Those are the moments when you've gone the extra mile and you've done something just to show somebody how much God loves them and show them how God is present in their situation. Those are the nights that you go to bed with your head on the pillow and you just feel at peace with yourself. You wanna know why? Because that's the way that God's system works. God says, listen, I want to be at peace with you. I want to be in relationship with you. And if I'm at peace with you and I'm in relationship with you, then I want you to know the depth of that. And the only way to know the depth of that is to be at peace with others and to be in relationship with others. Man, if you live that cycle, if you live that way where you're others focused because you're aware of how focused on you I am, it changes the way that you live and it changes the things you do and it drives you deep into the relationship and the life that God has for you. Our willingness to be in spiritual community reveals our trust in God's plan. I love this in Psalm chapter 106, verses 24 and 25. This is an incredible passage. So the Israelites have experienced all kinds of these amazing things. They've walked through this river that was formerly there that now was the sand. The, the mud is described as walking on desert. Just in seconds in front of them, minutes maybe in front of them, there was a river and now it was as dry as the desert they had been walking in. They were able to pass through this river. They've seen manna come from the sky. They've seen meat just provided for them. They've seen all of these different things, right? All this different stuff. They send out these spies. These spies got to go into the promised land. And the spies are there. They're looking at everything, and they're checking everything out. And the spies are like, there's a really good stuff there. I mean, there's, there's some amazing stuff there. I mean, there's grapes the size of your face. I mean, there's some awesome, awesome stuff there. I mean, this is going to be amazing, right? But there's a problem. There's giants there. There's all kinds of issues there. There's all kinds of stuff there. Check this out. Verse 24, 106. 
the people refused to enter the pleasant land, for they wouldn't believe his promise to care for them. Instead, they grumbled in their tents and refused to obey the Lord. And check that out. When I was reading that, it just jumped off the page at me. They refused to believe the promises that God had for them. I mean, look at all that they saw and look at all that they did and look at all that just took place. And they refused to believe God's promises for them. Why do they refuse? Like, what happened? What took place? Instead of being together and worshiping and expecting God to give them a report that says it's going to be hard. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be issues. But think about the things that you thought were issues before. And they were nothing because I'm with you. Anything you're getting ready to hear on this report, anything you're getting ready to expect, anything that could be a devastating report, even if it's the biggest thing that you could have ever faced in your life, it's going to be small. It's going to be nothing. Why? Because I'm with you. They weren't out in community expecting God to show up. They weren't out in community waiting for a report of saying, this is what we get to watch God do. Where were they at? They were in their tents by themselves grumbling. When we isolate ourselves and we put ourselves in a place that is alone, that is separated, or even surrounded by a few people that we've selected that agree with us and that validate where we want to be and what we want to feel, we end up in a place where we're living a life that is less than what God wants us to have. It's a life where we're not expecting God to show up. It's a life where we're expecting failure instead of God's success. It's a life where we're expecting harm and consequence and we're expecting disappointment instead of expecting God's glorious hand working and doing miraculous things. When we isolate ourselves, when we put ourselves in a place where we're alone and we're by ourselves and we're just grumbling and we're murmuring and we're complaining, it takes our eyes off of God and it puts our eyes on our stuff. I'm just telling you, man, one of the most important things we can do is invest in relationships with people that we go to church with that are at every plane, every level playing field of, of, of the relationship with God. You can be like, man, they've been a Christian for 30 years. Man, they're just on fire. I love spending time with them because I love how much they spend just, you know, what, what they sound like when they're spending time with God and when they're just talking about God's word. I love being with them. Man, spend as much time as you can with them. Let that just pour into your soul. But make sure you're spending time with the person that doesn't even know if they want to be at church as well but they're hungry because you've got something to give them. Don't just take, give. We're supposed to be in a community. And when we're walking around and we're saying, look what God did, look what happened. Come on, church. One of, our, one of the places we could find ourselves in right now, right? We could find ourselves in a place. We're here in this church. I wish there was 150 people in these seats, but there's not. What happened? What did we do wrong? Where did we go wrong? What should I have I done? What should have happened that didn't happen? What's wrong with us? We can go through the list of all of these different things. But you know what we need to choose to do as a church instead? Look at how God has continually provided for us as a church. Every time I think about, every time I talk about that any moment that it looked like that things were going to happen to us where the doors were going to close, guess what happened? God opened a door that nobody could open on their own. 
I mean, you think about it. We had to move to the YMCA, which was a setup and teardown situation. It was going to cost $36,000 to get all of the stuff that we needed to be able to get into that space and make it usable. $36,000. You know how much we had? Nothing. And you know how many weeks we had to move out? Three. God opened the doors for us to find a facility. God opened the doors where we got $30,000 worth of equipment for $5,000. God worked out a way that we're giving of people in different situations and companies and all kinds of things. We've got, oh, we got over $50,000 worth of stuff for around $12,000 to $15,000. God provided and made a way. And while we were there, we made relationships and made connections with people that are going to last an eternity. God moved and he spoke to us and changed lives in that gymnasium. God shaped the heart of this church and the character of this church while we were there. God built in us a foundation that is going to continue to help us to move forward and to do the things that God wants us to do. We were at the gym. We were like, you know what? This is great. God's provided. But man, it's tough. Nobody wants to go to church in a gym. And Jamie's tired of hanging those stupid panels every other month because they keep getting knocked down. And we're like, man, we would love to be on Saturday nights. And it, the conversation, every time we've ever had it, it just, it's just not possible. It's not going to happen. There's no way it's going to work out. Without us even asking God opens a door for us to move to Saturdays, to be in this location, to be in this facility. I mean, think about it. God opens doors that we don't even ask for. He's doing amazing things. He's doing amazing work. We've got to speak to the things that God is doing. We've got to recognize his goodness. We've got to declare his glory. We've got to worship him for who he is and what he's doing and not isolate ourselves and put ourselves in a position where we become critical of ourselves, critical of others, and we begin to grumble and doubt the promises that God has given us. We've got to surround ourselves with people. We've got to pull ourselves together. We've got to stand shoulder to shoulder. And we've got to scream, look what God's done. Look at who he is. Look what he's promised. Look at all the things that have happened in the past. Can you wait to see what's going to happen, what's going to be in front of us? Can you believe the things that are going to take place? That's the conversation we need to have. That's the way we need to live. We need to be together. We need to be in community. That's the way God has called us to live. And when we're in community, when we're living life together, we're able to trust in God's plans. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Paul says this. All this proceeding along lines. What is all this? That God's plan from the very beginning of time was to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and me. And that Jesus would initiate the birth of his church. And that through people standing, unified together around the goodness and the love and the mercy of God displayed through Jesus Christ, that that church would all throughout the world, throughout all time, declare God's glory. That was God's plan. That's what he wanted to do. That's what God initiated through Jesus coming to the earth. And all of this, proceeding along lines, planned all along by God, and then executed in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, we're free to say whatever needs to be said and bold to go wherever we need to go. 
our participation in spiritual community causes us to live expecting to experience his goodness. I'm just telling you this. When you spend time with the right people, you walk away from those encounters and those moments expecting God to do something awesome. I just had lunch with Mike this week. Man, it was such a great conversation. It's so much fun. He's such an awesome guy. But you know, one of the most encouraging things is not just that Mike's awesome, but that God's doing a work in Mike, that God's called Mike, and that God's put Mike and his family in this church. Mike has a dream for this church. Mike has a desire to serve this church. Mike has a desire for God's glory to be known and for people to come to Jesus Christ. Mike the whole time was talking about Philip and Philip being called into ministry and that Philip wants to be a youth pastor and he's already dreaming and he's doing everything he can to leverage the influence that he has right now in teenagers' lives right now. He's not waiting for a day to be a youth pastor. He's being a youth pastor right now. I ate a hamburger with mac and cheese on it and it was awesome. It was awesome. And bacon. So good. But it was pale in comparison to where my heart was, where my faith was, because of the time I spent with Mike. Mike plopped down his reach cards and his sermon invite cards to invite this waitress to our church. We walked out of there and we just kept talking about the things that God's doing and where God wants us to go. We were dreaming. And when you spend time with people and you spend life together with people, and it's not just on a service time, but you say, I want to be in community with those people. I want to be rubbing shoulders with those people. I want them to influence me. It makes a difference. Ryan and I went to North Carolina to, to fix some stuff down in there in the house. Man, the conversations that we had, the friendship that was bonded. When I got done, I was expecting God to continue working in his life and Stephanie's life. I was expecting for God to work in my life. I was full on what God wants to do because he's bringing people like the Holcombs into this church. I could go through every single one of you as I look in your faces and I see the things that God's doing and I see God bringing us together in community, in relationship, to do life together. It's not just by happenstance. It's not just so that we can sit here and say that was a good message or that was a good time of worship, but it's so that we can do life together. It's so that we can point to Jesus together. It's so that in moments when you're down and you're just beat up by life and you're just discouraged, that we can come along and say, no, look what God's doing. I know what's tough right now, but guess what? You're not on your own. We're here with you. And we're not just here with you. We're here to remind you that God is with you. When you are able to live in a place of relationship and community, then you see and you begin to trust the things that God's doing. We have to spend time with each other. We have to spend time with each other and be committed together. In Ephesians chapter 3, Verses 14 through 19. I'm reading a lot of God's word. Hopefully you like it. If you don't, I'm judging you. <laughs> my response is to get down on my knees before God. Listen to this. This is Paul. We just read 13, right? Paul's saying, look what God's doing. Look at all the things that he's doing. Whatever he's said, bold, we can go wherever we need to go. We can do all of these things. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father. And he's got this expectation. He's blown away. The question I asked you last week, what if the only things you had to do were things that you were compelled to do because they were greater and bigger than you are? That's where God wants you. 
He wants you walking through life, not saying I have to do this. And it's something small that is temporary. He wants you walking through life saying, I have to do this. I have to tell people of his goodness. I have to show people what he's done in my life. I have to be committed to eternal things. I want to be where Jesus is. Man, when you think about that and you live in that type of life and you see God's activity, you see his working, you see all the things happening, you see the things taking place, and you begin to speak of God's goodness, and he opens your eyes a little bit wider. You start serving other people and loving on other people, and then he opens your eyes even wider. And all of a sudden you start seeing how big God is and how good he is and all the things that are happening. It causes you to just get into this place where you go, whoa, God, you're awesome. You're amazing falls to his knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. Listen to this. Listen to this. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test his length. Plumb the depth. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request or in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. We put ourselves in a place of isolation when we say, I got this. This is where God wants you to live. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to live a full life. You know how you do that? You know how you experience that? You walk around in community and together. You know what we say? He's got this. He's got this. I don't got this. He's got this. You know what? The situation is too big for me. I don't got this. Man, uh-uh. I'm a babbling mess, man. What am I trying to do? I don't even know how to pull a stupid trailer. I make up stupid license plates, and then I don't even put them on the trailer. I don't got this. I'm a mess. He's got this. I cannot arrive at that place on my own. When I'm by myself, when I'm in my tent grumbling, all I can see is who's failed me, who's let me down, and where God didn't come through. If I step out into community and I talk about the things that he has done, and I talk about the goodness of all that he's put in our lives and all that he's called us to, Man, it puts us into a place where we're celebrating God. We're declaring his glory. We're worshiping him. We're exalting him. And we're just screaming, he's got this. And it puts us in a place where we're looking forward. We're dreaming. And we can't out-dream God. We can't out-imagine God. We can't out-ask God. We can't outlive God. God is eternal. And he's delving out all of eternity to us when we're looking. And we look the best when we're looking together. So the worship team comes up. I want to be quick to say this. Last week we talked about, last week we talked about the fact that at the very end, 
You know, sometimes in the church we get into a place, oh, if I just change my words, if I say I'm not sick, even though I'm sneezing and I got snot pouring out of my face, then I'm not sick. No, you're sick, right? If you're like on the couch with cold sweats, throwing up, you're sick. Right? But you got to be mindful about your words at the same time. Sometimes we can go too far. We walk around, we say we're not something just because we think our words can change things. Our words do influence and impact our perspective. There is absolutely no doubt about that. But I want to throw this out there tonight. And I want to encourage you in this. Is that you and I, we will never have our perspective changed by just changing our words. Just changing our words, it will make a difference. I'm not gonna lie to you. There are scientific studies, there are psychological studies that if you just change your words, you can have happier days, more positive days, you can do better at your job. I mean, there's so many studies. But that will only go so far. It will only take you to a certain place. Just changing your words will not do enough for you. It starts with knowing the one who speaks the word of life and that is the word of life that awakens a reality within you that is eternal, that is life-giving, that is hope-filled, that is joy-filled, that is constant, that is real, that is present. It's knowing Jesus. You can change your words. You can walk around and say, I get to. You can walk around and say, he's got this. But unless you know him and you really know that he's got you, you're never going to be in a place where you're knowing peace and joy and hope. You're never going to be in an unshakable place. You can be the most positive, forward-looking, outward-looking, hopeful person. It will only take you so far. Church, I want to encourage you tonight. Let your words glorify God. Let your words speak of His goodness. Let your words speak of His majesty. Let your words be ones of awe and wonder because you know Him and because you know He's got you. One of the best ways to know to be at church, be around people, worship, lift up your hands. When you're at work, do Bible studies with other Christians and go to other church. Do what you can to connect with other people that believe in God, that are living a full life in God because they point out God's activity in your life and you get a chance to point out God's activity in their life. We're living our lives for others. We're loving others as we love ourselves. We're recognizing I have a need for Jesus. That means you've got a need for Jesus. That's what this whole thing's about. We're kicking off life groups in a couple weeks on October 12th. We're going to have four life groups here at the Waynesburg campus. It's been a long time since we had life groups. Don't ignore the opportunity to be in a spiritual community. Be in life together. Doing life together. It helps you to see and to know the life that God has for you and the, the life that God wants for you. Tonight, if you're in here tonight, even if you've been in church forever, you've grown up in church, 
You've come up here and prayed for people before. But you know deep down in your heart, you don't know that God's got you. You're more insecure in God than you are secure. When you think about Jesus, you do not find hope and refuge. Tonight, I want you to know that God loves you and that Jesus is here. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. Jesus wants to connect with you. He wants to fill you right now where you are with a good life, with an assurance that you are his and that he's got you. So here in a second as I pray, if you say that's me, I just want you to pray. God, I need you to have me. God, I keep thinking I've got this and I don't. I need you. And if you've got a relationship with God, but you've been moving out to critical island, you've been isolating yourself, and you can tell because you grumble, you say a lot of negative things, you're critical of other people, you're critical of the things that God's doing. Get off that island by getting into life with people that see what God is doing. Father, I just pray right now. Man, I can keep preaching and keep saying stuff, but God, you need to do work in our hearts. You need to move us deeper into the things that you have for us. And God, tonight, in this place, if we're in our hearts, with our mouths, if we're screaming out, God, I don't have this and I need you. God, be with us. Help us to believe. God, help us to stand firm that you've got this. Not just temporarily, but that through Jesus dying on the cross, you permanently have this. You fixed it. You fixed it by nails. It's okay to laugh while you're praying. God, I pray, Lord, for each one of us that are in this church right now. God, that we found ourselves in places where we're critical, where we're isolated, we're walking around saying, I've got this, and we're putting ourselves in places that is not helping us to walk in fullness, to walk in joy. God, help us, Lord, to find people in our workplaces, to find people in this church, to find a life group, to find places where we can go to be connected with others, where we're serving, we're giving of ourselves, we're outpouring what you're pouring into us and help us to see how big you are, how good you are. God, help us to see, God, that no matter what we do, we can't outdream you, we can't outimagine you, we can't outask you, that God, you are good and that you are glorious and you're majestic and you are powerful and you are sovereign and you are in control of all things. God, help us. Lord, to be in awe, help us to have moments where we just drop to our knees because we see how good you are. God, help us to live our lives as worship to you. Father, we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, will you stand and worship with me, church?